Aaron O'Rourke. Hello, Dan Landrum. How are you today? I'm jolly good. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm congested still. Yeah. Uh, we, if, if anybody follows me on Facebook, and if you don't, come on. <laughs> Aaron, too. We, we write fun things on Facebook. Well, you more so than I do. Well, you more s- often. Yeah. Well, okay. We can talk about that being an obsession, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> I like to write, though. You know, there's this part of me yeah. that thinks that there's a book waiting somewhere. Yeah. But instead, <laughs> doing it just a day at a time on Facebook hmm. and sharing life. But anyway, I actually, I like Facebook. But back to uh, where we started was... Uh, we're surrounded by fire. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron lives on Signal Mountain now. And I guess before we go much uh, deeper into this conversation, we should mention that Seaford is not here today. Yes. He's preparing for his last gig of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to tie into what we're talking about today. Uh, but we're okay for people who have written. I attended a city council meeting last night, and uh, uh, police, uh, chief of police who's been heavily involved, as all law enforcement folks have been with the fires that are burning around here, gave a sobering report of everything that's going on. I mean, so think about this. You and I are standing here, Georgia Avenue, Signal Mountain, Tennessee, about eight miles from here. There are hundreds of firefighters from all across the country risking their lives to keep my house from catching on fire. Right. And he also told the story of Saturday, just this past Saturday. We're recording this on the 15th. He said the the thing that frightened him the most in this whole thing was he got a phone call that a fire had started on a road called Suck Creek Road, which is oh. just down the mountain from where we live. Yeah. It takes about 10 minutes to drive there, but it's as the crow flies, it's as the crow flies just a little way and then down. Right. <laughs> it's about a mile away. <clears throat> fire had started there and they were... Fortunately, able to get that one out quickly, but we need some rain. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to our friends who are over in the North Carolina area, they have as much or more burning right now. Mm-hmm. And to our friends who are down in Georgia, perhaps in the Lookout Mountain area, they've got fires, the actual structures mm-hmm. burning there, and they've been right. to avoid, able to avoid any structures burning in the Signal Mountain area. So, it's intense, but you know yeah. what it does is it makes you heard Aaron cough just a minute ago, and you'll probably hear me at some point. Yeah. The air's tough here. It is, and if you walk outside very long, you're going to come back in and be quite hoarse. We're right. under a, uh, I think it's hit code. It's at code red. Is it code red again? Yeah. I know it was code purple for oh, a wow. bit yesterday morning uh, in downtown Chattanooga. Yeah, because we have uh, we live on a mountaintop here. But there's this thing called inversion that you'll you'll see sometimes. It's quite pretty to watch sometimes if it's if it's fog, but where the fog will just all go down and the skies will be clear up here, and, you, and you'll look at a sea of fog as you're looking down at the valley. It oh. happens with temperature as well sometimes, where you'll get odd temperature swings. Interesting. But they had inversion yesterday, and basically all the fire, all the smoke from fires all the way around here, all just socked Chattanooga in with yeah. dense, dangerous air to breathe. So yeah. That's what it was like driving home yesterday from my last gig of the year, last dulcimer gig of the year anyway. Um, uh, Going into, started, I think, just a little bit north of Macon, starting to see the haze and continued on through Atlanta and 
just got worse and worse coming up. But I saw Code Red yesterday uh, when I was driving up to Chattanooga. So it might not be Code Red here on Signal Mountain. No, I think we've uh, been orange. Yeah. <laughs> so I talked to okay. someone last night, actually, who who works for the city, lives in the valley, and said she once she gets up to Signal, she feels like she can breathe a little easier. Yeah. Even though it's the side of where we live where mm-hmm. many of the fires are burning. So <clears throat> on that happy note, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Dulcimer Geek Podcast. And we should have Steve back next week. And... Yeah, as of now, so. we're committed to, we like this Tuesday thing and want to keep it up. Right. So, significant events uh, before we get into the topic du jour. How was the White Springs Festival? Oh, the White Springs Festival was great. Even though I was still recovering from whatever sickness I've had. It's, um, for me, that one's like a, a family reunion. That was the first festival that I ever went to as an attendee. That's where I met you. Yeah, right. And that's the that that's the first festival I ever taught a workshop at uh, when I was eighteen, I think. And uh, um, and for anyone who was there at that workshop, I am so sorry. <laughs> 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 but uh, but I that's the one that I keep doing every year, um, even though I live out of state now, and it's um, and so it's it's a haul to get there, <laughs> but. Uh, it's got this sentimental attachment for me anyway, so I keep doing it. Do I remember, had I, I had walked from the hotel over to McDonald's. Right. And I was, I think I hitched a ride with you to the festival. Yeah. Because my intention was to walk back and get the car or something. And I, yeah. 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 So we started talking and haven't really stopped. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? Um, uh, I think think that that must have been 2000. Oh, okay. No, I don't know. I'm I was thinking it was 2009 or 2008. That's probably right. Might be totally off. Yeah. How cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's great to make lasting friendships at these, at these mm-hmm. things. And so that's why, you know, I totally hear what you're saying about it feeling like, you know, mm-hmm. that's your place. Right. And it is... It, it feels kind of funny being that that's consistently for me been the last gig of the year or the last oh. dulcimer one, unless, unless uh unicoi, um, which is once every few years for me anyway. Um, this concern but, about unicoi even from what right. I understand, it's safe right now. Mm-hmm. There's fires all around there. Right. Uh, the Nantahala river gorge <clears throat> is frightening looking. Oh. Yeah, it's actually some structures burning there. It's a oh. beautiful place. Ugh. Anyway, hopefully by the time you hear this, <laughs> right, <laughs> it will have changed. But the truth mm-hmm. is right now we have no imminent rainfall in the forecast. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> in other news, talking about significant events, I know we're not going to talk about the election except for one. Dan, congrats oh, for that's being right. on town council. Yes. So it starts. For getting elected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it starts. I would like to say that I spent and accepted exactly zero dollars. That's awesome. Yeah, which is kind of cool because I did have people right from the beginning saying, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, you know, you can spend this much. And I did all the paperwork if we wanted to. But it seems to me like for a municipal position like this, mm-hmm. if possible, it shouldn't cost anybody anything. Yeah. It's not a paid position. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I also noticed that and appreciate that Dulcimer Players News was the... The only publication I subscribed to that did not accept any money in political uh, ad campaigns. 
Uh, oh yeah, we had this, them beating down year. the doors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the closest we're ever going to come to uh, politics, I think, I hope, is the uh, pooper pickle episode of uh, Dulcimer Geek. <laughs> yes, and thank you for doing that. Nick Katie and I did last week. By the way, for those of you who saw that and thought, "What is wrong with the graphics?" That was a joke. <laughs> yes, I did that, but that was a joke. <laughs> I hope that came across. But, but oh well. So, last gig of the season, and this kind of moves into what you and I vaguely talked about talking about today. The dulcimer season is what you're talking about, but right. it's not like music stops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we want to talk about maybe ways of trying to move into some alternate realities. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, there's too many of those right now. We want to talk about ways of moving what we do as we could think about this from the perspective of dulcimer players, but just as, you know, may- maybe you're an ukulele player and all you do is play at those kinds of festivals, you know, or maybe you're, a, you're whatever, uh, how to branch into other markets. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I did this week was took advantage of a violin player and I'll recommend his services, by the way, his name is Christian house. He's uh, there aren't very many, improvisational jazz violinists. And uh, fortunately, I mean, I know one of them pretty well. One of them is Karen Briggs, who did two of the tours with me when I did the Ani stuff. Nice. Fantastic. I mean, she does everything, you know, across the board. Anyway, friends with Christian Howes. But Christian is a music business consultant as well. And so he's starting this new series of, uh, you know, jumpstart your music business. And I guess I've subscribed to his blog for a while. And he sent out something a few weeks ago that said, I'm going to do 30 minute free consults, a certain number of them for people who sign up. Oh, cool. And I happened to see it and I signed up not having any idea what it was going to be like. So that's sort of where we're starting with this mm-hmm. conversation today. <clears throat> and I proposed, he asked, you know, what my goals were. Mm-hmm. And they were to expand the markets in which we play. And I was specifically talking to him about like some of the projects, some of the things that you and I are working on. Right. That we're dedicated to. I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, I'm speaking for myself, but you haven't made me think you're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good way to phrase that. Yeah. But, <laughs> I can't. But yes. <laughs> so Aaron and I, even though we're in the same room, we're standing behind these baffles and all I can see are his eyes. Right. <laughs> it feels like, uh, what was the show? Oh, like uh, Wilson, the neighbor. Uh, On Home Improvement. Home Improvement. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. I just see, just yeah. see the eyes. Uh, so anyway, I explained all this to him and I'm, I'm trying to be careful not just to rehash the entire conversation. And I had written some of it to him and told him what it is we're trying to do. And one of our ideas was to break or is to try to break into the performing arts center. Okay. Circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes thought about as, you know, the college circuit is sort of parts of that, you know, mm-hmm. we all have fine arts halls and those sorts of things. And we know there are showcases that you can try to get into. Mm-hmm. You can, you present them with, your material with a video of your material for to try to get into juried showcases. And they happen across the country, you know, and it's divided up into regions. And so mm-hmm. 
this applies to anybody who's listening to this who's interested. I told him, Christian, that this seems like, you know, what we'd like to be doing in a couple of years. I'm not mm-hmm. naive. I know how hard it is to, to get into something. And he laughed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, that's really a, he said, that's a five-year plan huh. at best to really get into those. And this also relates back to a conversation we had with Randy Klepper about Folk Alliance, right? which is another place that you can go and perform and try to get seen and booked into places, right? Mm-hmm. And so, count, Randy, if you're listening to this, this is, is going to sound very similar to the conversation we have with you and your experience with Folk Alliance. Randy is a uh, bazooki player. Just awesome bazooki player. Awesome yeah. bazooki player. Just a fantastic musician. And, and he and uh, John, who's John's last name? Uh, oh. I'm wondering, I've it, got John Doyle stuck it, in my head. Is it's it not John Sherman? Doyle. John or? Sherman, okay. yeah. He and John Sherman are working to break into that market more. <clears throat> but he said, so here's what happens. Typically, and this isn't going to happen with us because we aren't typical. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Christian House was saying, typically, here's what happens is people work on some idea that they're excited about. They've maybe been playing a particular folk market, and they're maybe doing well and maybe even well-known in that industry or that niche is what I should say. Mm -hmm. It's hard to think of the dulcimer niche as an industry. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, so they, they get excited and they've got a pretty good product. Some agent talks them into repping them. Or they mm-hmm. go seeking a rep, an agent, and the agents are almost always willing to talk to you mm. because there are fees involved, right? You know, and getting that whole thing set up. And so the agent says, "Hey, you need to go do an artist showcase somewhere. I'm going to try to get you an artist showcase." So the first one doesn't work; mm-hmm. you don't get in, you know. And so maybe you get in in the second year, and the agents there are repping other artists and, uh. Maybe somebody sees you, maybe they don't. He said, but what you have to understand is that the competition for that industry, the performing arts center thing, is huge. And you've got people who've been playing this game for 10, 20 years mm-hmm. and who are regulars on these circuits. And in one year's in, in one year span, this year, the, 2000, the upcoming 2017, they booked that two years ago. Uh, a year to two years ago. I see. Just that. <clears throat> and they booked a a mappable tour then as well, which, and so you've got the math and the logistics of just getting the whole thing to work out. Mm-hmm. And so they might be hitting the, the, the really well-known successful group that's in this might be hitting this certain map logistical, you know, scenario this year and another one, another year. So it's not just that they're, Competing one year, they're competing for different places and different regions and areas. And so that was, I don't want to say that was discouraging, Mm -hmm. but it certainly was like, okay, I see the reality in that. Right. He said, and often after a year or two, people are just ready to give up. Hmm. I see. So I have more to say on that, but uh, I've been talking a lot. You have any thoughts (laughs) up to this point? Well, actually, the last thing you said... um kind of hit me in a strange way after um after a year or so that's usually when people are ready to give up um well that's good to know 
Why? <laughs> oh, you just have to go for more than a year, and then you're then you're ahead of the game. That's kind of true, isn't it? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, a year or two. Half of two. half of anything is showing up. Right. But <laughs> if you have, if this is your sole source of income, mm-hmm. let's say Aaron and Dan, who enjoy working with each other, who get along just fine now, uh, all kinds of positive stuff about this musical relationship, right? Mm-hmm. We said, okay. We can make more money in this other thing. Mm-hmm. Let's don't book any dulcimer festivals for 2017. That would be a mistake. <laughs> that would be a big mistake. Right. And all kinds of things can go south then because mm-hmm. it's how we make our living. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, and on top of that, Aaron, this is maybe a bit personal for folks, but maybe other people can find ways to relate to this. The music that you and I are working on together mm-hmm. is not easily defined right that's the kiss of death that's one mm-hmm. of the things that christian house said yeah uh he said that that's a problem because almost always these musicians will describe what they do as not easily defined it's right. new it's different it's exciting but it doesn't really fit in any genre mm-hmm. nobody can sell that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he had that's... some very specific advice <clears throat> about solving that dilemma no, mm-hmm. we haven't really gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. And so he was... Uh, so so what was his suggestion on that? So you're not going to like where I'm going to go with this, but because this is, will embarrass you. And I know you don't like this to begin with. One of the things that people tend to do is say, well, it's like... And if these places have heard the word Bela Fleck once, they've heard it a thousand times. Right. And it's kind of like what Bela Fleck does with the banjo. Right. Nobody wants to hear that. Nope. And it's, yeah... Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Mr. Fleck. <laughs> yeah. No, Bela Fleck's fantastic, but that doesn't really position you. It's just not a good positioning statement. It might right. be something nice to have someone else say about you. Oh, he reminded me of that. Right. And so that's sort of where I started with what we're doing. I was telling him about the, the partnership that you and I have. And <laughs> just a quick aside, he advised against partnerships big time if right. you're trying to break into a new market. And maybe we can talk about that for a minute. Yeah. And I pushed back over the course of the conversation. But at one point he said, tell me about this Aaron guy. (laughs) Is he a hard worker? And I loved that question. Yeah. Because that's at the heart of of how this works, right? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, said, really? I mean, absolutely. Aaron's a hard worker. And as a matter of fact, has inspired me to work harder and be more productive and, you know, and has pushed me musically and those kinds of things. And he said, oh, okay. Okay, then never mind, you know, because mm-hmm. it is easier to perform with with two people. Absolutely. And you could have more variety. I asked Christian also, I said, you know, you're a solo violinist and violin, not any more so or less so. An hour and a half of violin in a concert, that's a lot of violin. It is. And to do a solo dulcimer thing, be it hammered or mountain, that's a lot of dulcimer. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. So anyway, he said, and that, and this makes sense. He said that's why I use looping, and you also see so many people doing that as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to how he said to try to describe yourself, and this is where I was talking about Aaron, and I said he honestly he's not going to like this, but and this isn't what we would say, but I feel like Aaron O'Rourke has this Chris Thiele, um, 
I don't, I don't want to say aspect because I'm not talking about the way you play. Right. I'm talking about the fact that you write and you, and you take it seriously mm-hmm. and it's in your hands all the time and you're disciplined and you work at it all the time and you're always doing new stuff. And so he said, yeah, that's just kind of like the Bela Fleck thing. Right. He said, but what you got to find a way is to say, say our music is like if, uh, Chris Thiele and Edgar Winter had a love child <laughs> <laughs> or something I, like that. I do like that more than the direct comparison kind of thing. Like, um, like anytime you hear, or anytime you hear something along the lines of the next Bela Fleck or the Ooh, next yeah. so-and-so, I have yet to see a, the next anybody. Really? That's right. Yeah. The next isn't going to work. Right. Because there's already a one of those. Yeah, we don't need another one like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the thing that you're doing has to be unique in some way in a twist. Mm-hmm. But he said, you really got to be able to say it, and I agree. And I remember Randy also saying this in the conversation we had. You got to be able to say that in a sentence or two. Mm-hmm. We don't have that yet. Yeah. I think it's getting more and more difficult for musicians. And I, I know we've talked about this before, Dan. All the good words have been used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the next generation's not going to have any good words. Um they've already been used. But uh um you know, I, I think I told you before when I saw uh the Goat Rodeo mm-hmm. session uh Chris Thiele, Yo-Yo Ma, Stuart Duncan and Edgar Meyer performing and after their performance there was an interview and they said uh the question was asked, "So, how do you describe what you do?" And um, and of course there was the the talk of you know it's a there's some influences of classical there's some bluegrass there's some old time there's some jazz um, how do you describe that and Edgar Meyer said well it's it's genre proof but I think well it just seems to me that genre proof is kind of becoming its own genre among yeah. instrumentalists that pull from these different influences. Whoa, that was a loud noise. We'll ignore it. <laughs> It sounded like I just got a point. <laughs> you did. That was it. Yeah. All right. So with more and more people falling on, on, into that, uh, this new genre being genre proof, if that's what we can call it, I think that in itself presents some challenges. Uh, whereas, you know, at one time, maybe when Nickel Creek came out, which was really not that long ago in the scheme of things, but that seemed to set this thing in motion, um, particularly from the, the bluegrass and, and newgrass kind of community pulling from jazz and classical influences more and more. I can sort of see you saying that from your perspective. I know that newgrass revival came before uh, There was even Nickel another Creek. thing. Yeah, no, no, I know. And that's not where I'm going to go uh, because I was in public radio at the time and seeing a lot of the stuff that was coming out. Oh, okay. There was, uh, I'm trying to think what label they were on. There was a band called Montro, which was uh, Daryl Unger mm-hmm. and Liz Story and Mike Marshall. Uh, and that was late 80s, early 90s, maybe early 90s kind <laughs> of stuff. And these were people that were... Uh, they didn't want to be seen as Wyndham Hill. <laughs> sure. Kind of at the time. Because Wyndham uh-huh. Hill was the George Winston mm-hmm. and 
Phil, Philip Auger, you know, and a, mm-hmm. a lot of it was piano stuff. And then, you know, then you had the Yanni stuff going on. I mean, but these were all people trying to create new products. I see. And I'm not sure. I'm reaching here, Aaron, but I'm not sure that like Nickel Creek was was maybe trying to do that so much. No, I don't. But I think they were benefiting benefiting from the fact that people had done that. Because some of these guys working, you know, like 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 uh Daryl and Mike Marshall uh-huh. and Tony Rice. Right. You know, and those folks all defied the stereotypes that they were easily placed in. Mm-hmm. But I I guess I would push back a little bit on how exactly they benefited from that, outside of the fact that Tony Rice, Daryl Anger, Mike Marshall, all of those players, David Grisman, factored into their influences to some extent. I don't think you saw, uh, and I might be wrong because this is before my time, but in going back and watching you know old footage of... Uh, you know, these performances of the Tony Rice unit and yeah. the David Grisman quintet, I didn't see them in the same arena that Nickel Creek made it to, which is a no. little bit more mainstream. Yes. And I think part of that mainstreamness, for lack of a better word, happened because there were people that weren't exposed to the same idea before. And that, yeah. that was their big selling point, that this hasn't been done before, even if it had. And... I don't think that there's anything really harmonically or melodically going on that is really all that new that they did. And I say that loving Nickel yeah. Creek. No, I know. <laughs> but, it's uh, complex, and I don't see you as pushing back, and that's not what I'm doing either, really. Okay. I'm just trying to figure it out for us. Oh, yeah. And, and trying to spark thought for other people that are trying to figure it out as well. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to be the, the next Nickel Creek either. No. That's not what the goal is. But you have to wonder, like... Uh, you know, let's go pre all the names we've just mentioned. That makes me think. I was trying to think of, okay, so who were the pioneers before them? I'd go Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli. Okay. You know, really, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's kind of watching Chris Thiele reminds me of watching Stefan Grappelli. Sure. You know. That makes sense. Their genres are completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's where I'm trying to place you. Well, that's is, kind of you. <laughs> it is. It's maybe stretching a bit. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, but yeah, here, here, a lot bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't cut yourself short there. But I'm only five seven. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we want what we're doing to be good, right? And we hope it's good. It's interesting us. Mm-hmm. But we haven't had, we don't have people lining up to go, when's that new CD coming out? I'd like to give you $5,000 in advance to do it, you know, because people Uh don't know who we are. Uh And so we have to produce this and have to stay excited about it and sell it. Uh, Yeah, I think zeroing in on this thing that we're trying to zero in on, the conversation we're having right now is the best conversation we've had about it. Yeah. Because it's not something that you just want to sit around and talk about. Well, what are we like? Yeah, I tend to be more open when I think, you know, there's going to be people listening to me. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's the same for me. (laughs) Which is great, because you just got into politics. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. My goodness, that's dangerous. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. We're open. 
to suggestions. Now, one of the things that he said to maybe help spark that is, uh, this is, again, I'm referring back to Christian Howells, and you can look him up, and I recommend his services because uh, this is what he does. He said, uh, <coughs> and none of, none of this is magic. It's not like he, the five right. secret things that the music industry doesn't want you to know. Right. I came away from it just going, man, he's talking about fundamentals. Right. But some of them I'm just not good at. So what what are you just not good at? I'm not a salesperson. Mm. And it's really crucial. I get Well, I'm not going to be able to help you out there. You uh, ha- that's a problem. Think, we we right. have to get better at this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why the, the allure of having an agent really, really gets some musicians, even if they discover it wasn't mutually beneficial necessarily. I, there is this temptation to, that I think is totally understandable to just want to create and do your thing because we're not promoters. We're, we're not good at it, and I don't think either one of us really enjoys it speaking for – at huh? risk of speaking for. No, you're totally us. right. I, it feels – something about that feels wrong. Right. However, that may be a negative – I'm going to try to say this. I'm going to say it poorly at risk of not being able to say it all. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I can be, I'm going to say something that can be pulled out of context here, but nobody cares uh-huh. <laughs> about the context. So I'll sure. say it anyway. <clears throat> there might be some sort of arrogance that neither one of us are going to admit to uh-huh. associated with saying, no, man, I'm an artist. I'm not a salesman. That's somebody else's thing. There might be something in there that's ego driven that if you, that can be, I don't want to say if you are smart enough, that's not where I'm coming from, but can be systematically and logically defeated in a Socratic dialogue (laughs) where you recognize that part of creating is actually getting the product out there to be seen. I'm gonna, and doing the things that are necessary. I'm going to be defensive for just a really? little bit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm I'm inclined to play defense. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily coming from an arrogant place. I think that it can very easily, um, and it it can sound arrogant. Um, speaking for me and my flaws. Well, I think back to one example specifically um, at a festival where there were 30, 40 instructors all going out to dinner and uh, and I was sitting alone at a pizza hut because I drove around to try to find what I thought would be the most empty restaurant <laughs> in town and I got a text from Steve and he he's like, hey, where are you at? You okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I just needed you know some, some alone time because I, I tend to need a lot of that especially at festivals. And we talked a little bit about that. And I said something like, we were talking about whether that's helpful or hurtful, whether it can hurt you in the, in the business of teaching and performing music. And, uh, and I said, well, I don't think I'm totally antisocial, do you? And he said, there are 40 instructors right down the road. You're sitting here all by yourself in a pizza hut. You tell me if you think you're antisocial. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how it could be seen that way. Right. <laughs> I, I want but, it. Yeah. There, there is this. There's also this 
part then, it, once you get pa- past the, okay, I've enjoyed teaching, I've enjoyed performing, I've enjoyed shaking hands, how much is actually left to promote me to go to someone and say, hey, check out my stuff. And then there's this, uh, there's also this insecure part that comes in that I don't think is rooted in arrogance. And that I think even with getting on stage and performing original material that can have, you know, or even, even arrangements of traditional material that might have some significant emotional context that might fly, might not. Right. I mean, even getting on stage, bringing that insecurity, but getting over it for this, you know, there, we don't have to go into all that, but there's a lot of different ways to get past that and be able to perform. Right. It's harder, (laughs) I think, taking the extra step to promote it where you're, you're kind of making the judge, it feels like you're making the judgment call for them. Uh, as opposed to in a concert where people can judge for themselves where they like something or not, you have to. If promotion feels a bit like, I think that you're gonna think that this is great. So I'm not really worried about this, but I'm gonna say this in a way that sounds like I'm worried about this for okay. you <clears throat> and for me. There's a point at which you just gotta go, dude. <laughs> You're not tall enough to play basketball. (laughs) (laughs) And now the examples that you just gave. I don't know what that means yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, Uh, not yet. I'm waiting to see where you're going to go. There are some traits that are necessary for success in some fields. And now, in weird, Aaron. Who's coughing back in the distance? (laughs) Sorry about that. Sorry. (laughs) For us to stand here and say, which is what we're doing, we're standing while we're doing the podcast today. Right. For us to stand here and say, we're not promoters on a podcast. Right. (laughs) There's some irony in that. Uh huh. But look at how good we are actually promoting on the podcast when we've talked about, like, okay, we need to make it a regular thing. We need to talk about. Patreon, we need to talk about Dulcimer Players News, we need to talk about Dulcimer School, and it gets so uncomfortable every single time we talk about that. But see, I think some of that could have to do with the, uh, I'm going to use the word restrictions, and I don't mean this in a negative way, friends, but the restrictions of the community that we're in. There's. I'm going to go back to that old Chinese, uh, Japanese, it's a a Japanese uh, saying that Sounds Japanese when they say it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it translates. The, the nail that sticks up will be hammered down. So within that society, there's this strong push for conformity. And to over-promote within the dulcimer community that we're in most of the time, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to serve you well. And we have maybe gotten used to that. But this conversation began and will continue on, we want to step out of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if our way to do that might be for us to study roles and Mm -hmm. play those roles as if, okay, I'm going to say these things at the end of the phone conversation. One of the things that impressed me about the conversation with Christian Howes Mm -hmm which felt like somebody trying to sell me vinyl siding a little bit, was at the end of it, he said, can I call you tomorrow night? Ah. And follow up. Is it okay if I call you tomorrow night? That's Mm -hmm. what we need to be doing. And 
I think it's worth mentioning in here that there are there are some people in our community that are really good at promotion, and that's no disrespect for them. I actually respect what they're no. what, what they're doing, and we're doing I, it right I now. Think, <laughs> well, I also I I might be wrong about this, but we know some people that are so good at self promoting that. I might be wrong, but they certainly give the impression that they that they just enjoy communicating with their um, audience. Well, and that's I maybe think, true. When, yeah, I enjoy communicating with the with the audience, but I feel like when I enjoy it most is not when I'm talking about any of my product necessarily yeah, or trying to push me. It just makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> And it's, it's amazing so, I got Patreon off the ground. <laughs> yeah, but you've done an amazing job with that, and it's working. I mean, well, Patreon is about self-promotion. It is. I mean, there's also, like, uh, I, I honestly get, well, I don't know. It feels weird talking about it. I honestly get kind of choked up talking about Patreon because, as I've said to you before, um, there are so many musical things that would not have gotten finished right. if it were not for my patrons on Patreon. See, that's why and I think you're better at it than I am. <laughs> I still... <sighs> maybe I'm so hung up in that the nail that sticks up will be hammered down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't do this if I didn't think I was any good at it. Mm-hmm. But I recognize... Again, par- par- remember, we're having this conversation partially because I talked with a marketing guy. Right. Okay? So this isn't me giving these marketing ideas. Mm-hmm. But nothing he said was like, oh, I've never thought of actually calling right. people if they... <laughs> <laughs> of course I've thought of that. But I think, oh, that mm-hmm. just seems uh, a bit arrogant. And maybe it's been a bit too easy for us in the dulcimer world. I know I don't, and I know you don't. I mean, I think I know this. Don't have anything on our to-do list that says try to get booked at these festivals no (laughs) and and yeah yeah but there's nothing wrong with putting that on the to-do list yeah maybe that ought to be on the to-do list uh, yeah so anyway we're talking about new markets where people have zero endearment to us right so let's pull it, pull it back away from our inadequacies <laughs> for just a minute. <clears throat> I apologize for all that, but it's just the way it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Smoke. Oh, I'm not saying I need to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> smoke break. All I have to do is open the window. Oh, one of the things that Christian Howell said is that you need to produce some good videos. Right. One or two, at least. Mm-hmm. And... Put them in the hands, this is going to be marketing, of, of people you know. Now, he recommended that you start with, you know, start with the Dulcimer Festival. Start with people you've played for before, where you actually are known. Mm-hmm. And you, you call up, and Nancy, I'm dropping your name here. You call up Nancy Barker, and you say, hey, Nancy, I'm going to send you this video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to take a look at it. This is what uh, Aaron and I have been working on. And then you call back in a day or two and say, hey, did you get a chance to watch that video? Now, your purpose in doing this is not to say, wasn't that great? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to have that at your festival at this point? Your purpose now is to say, 
tell me what you thought about the video. Be honest. And mm-hmm. then really listen to the language. Hopefully they don't cuss too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen for things like, wow, that was that was pretty far out. That's very telling. Or listen for things like, wow, have you ever thought about uh, seeing if Wyndham Hill's interested in this kind of mm-hmm. thing? You know, and then ask yourself, okay, the way that these people took what I gave them, is that positioning me the way that I want to be positioned? Right. If they're using phrasing that leaves your interpretation open, like that is so interesting that it's really hard to to get what a person might mean by that. Yeah. And the Wyndham Hill thing, I mean, that's, you know, that's a little bit more telling, but... Right, um, but the kind of... So I think it, it behooves or, us at this point to say what sorts like, of things would make us think, okay, we're, we're like, hitting... We're, we're hitting our target. We're like, I know some yoga studios that would love oh. that playing in the background. Yes. I right. heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly. It's one of my faves. Oh. Right. Yeah. It's, there's, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Oh. I'm going to play for a yoga studio <laughs> in a few days. <laughs> really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I really am. I'm so glad I just made that up. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. And you're wonderful, Rebecca. <laughs> And we like yoga studios, so don't listen to him. So, <laughs> uh, but no, what I would like to hear back is from, I guess it would depend on where you are, <coughs> but from Nancy Barker, maybe, mm-hmm. if I heard back from her, this is going to excite people about these instruments. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I don't, I'm about to say forget Nancy Barker. That's not really what I mean if you're listening right. to Nancy. Uh, but forgetting somebody that we know who's a friend who's involved in producing festivals and things for a moment to hear back from a, a producer of someone who just puts on events, who doesn't care if you're playing a, a, a piccolo or a, or a tuba, they just want something that's entertaining to the audience to hear back from them that, you know, this is really interesting. That, that puts those instruments in a light that I've never seen them before. And I think other people would find this fascinating. I would consider that to be a grand slam home run. Right. I concur. I come up with some other phrases like that. What? Um, ah. Okay. <clears throat> well, here's. Here's one that that I've actually heard that actually made me feel like that was a slam dunk. Um, And I think it absolutely applies here. And that was when someone said, like, uh, something along the lines of, you know, I feel like that concert just reminded me that there is new good music left to discover. Uh Aha, yeah. Yeah. So is that a marketing phrase? Proof that there's still new good music yet to discover. Copyright. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> uh, this is why you got to have conversations like this. The odd thing is that retelling it just sounds so arrogant, and I'm it trying does, to get past yeah. that. <laughs> Let Dan and Aaron show you. I just don't like those things. No. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we've got work to do. We do. 
Yeah. Okay. So get this. Another thing, changing subject just a bit, and still going back to that conversation. Okay. He cautioned against partnerships. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, he also, you want to you tackle that one? Yeah, that's really interesting. So why did he discourage partnerships? Because when breaking into a new market specifically or just in general? Just in general. Interesting. Because it's hard to make a living doing this. That makes sense. He said you end up... Uh, <laughs> Now, granted, this guy is a business consultant, and his purpose is to help you make a living and be able to put your kids through college playing instruments. And he's a solo artist who has found a way to do it himself. But part of the way he does it himself is helping other people, you know, come up with things. And so even it's interesting when you think about it, you know, from that level just a little bit. He's not saying <laughs> you can do this just by doing gigs. Right. Because he's at the moment not doing it just by doing gigs. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, he's done the things that we, you know, do some of. He has a, uh, a, a school, you know, an online school, like we're involved in with Dulcimer School. Mm-hmm. And I hope you are too, dear listener. Uh, he has a festival that he produces. That's grown quite a bit, which is we've produced a festival on which we've lost monies before, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but uh, we've also, it's not turned out that way always as well, but he had some very specific ideas about that and we won't, that's a whole other podcast. Hmm. Uh, What was the other one? Oh, he teaches Skype lessons. It's just all the things we're kind of doing. And so that's what I'm saying. None of this was really surprising one advantage that someone like Christian Howes has, and this is a bit discouraging, is he can get booked through school systems right, <clears throat> into community concert type events where they've got a, a nice performing hall. But because he's playing violin, he can then go in and teach workshops to right. students for the day. Mm-hmm. There aren't many places. There may be no places right. where really that's going to work out for you. But you had an idea about that, Aaron. Do you remember what you said the other day? Did I? Yes, you did. And I thought, oh, that's good. No. With regard to... Schools. No. What did I say? Well, maybe you didn't say that, but I think you did. Is you and I go in and teach like a heritage sort of thing. Yeah, that didn't come from me. That was someone else's idea. Well, it would be me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was Angie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Angie. And she said, yeah, so you could sort of book it as... You know, through arts, allied arts programs and those kinds of things that happen in schools where you're going to come in and do presentations for students about the history of these instruments mm-hmm. of sorts. But do it not from, I apologize if this is offensive, but don't have it look like a mighty wind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think presenting things in the form of uh, spoof documentaries is a great way to go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. No. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Is we want the music to stand on its own, regardless of the. I don't want it to be something that people attend or are required to attend because of the gimmickry of the instrument. Right. I'm just not happy with that. The gimmickery. Gimmickry. Did I make that up? I don't know. 
That's a good word. But what do you what do you mean by that? You're trying to talk me into a corner. No, I'm not. Uh, You're already facing a corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've said this before on the podcast, and if you, I apologize if you've heard this before, but when we did, when I was doing the the Yanni tour stuff, the guy in the band who made the greatest amount of money was the didgeridoo player. I'm not talking about his pay on the tour. Uh-huh. I'm talking about sales of CDs. You know, he plays an instrument that does basically <laughs> one note. Mm-hmm. He had 20-something CDs. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> it is amazing. <clears throat> He's a hard worker, great player, excellent player, fantastic guy, love him, you know. But he was playing into, gimmickry isn't quite right, but he rebelled against this, by the way. Uh, the very first tour and album I was involved in was called Ethnicity. And so the purpose of that project was to show different ethnic things and mix them together in sort of a world music thing. And I'm so okay. happy to have been involved in that. At that point, David Hudson, my friend, the didgeridoo player, was really tired of being the token aboriginal in this <laughs> right. thing and needing to dress up in paint that he doesn't wear. He's a business guy. He's on the Aboriginal Council in Australia. Oh, wow. You know, so he's involved in all this stuff. But yet for him to take off his suit and put on this paint and not wear a shirt and go in front of 15,000 people began to feel like, okay, this is kind of a gimmick. Uh, Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, the equivalent of that would be, well, I play a hammered dulcimer, so therefore... I'm going to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way in order to play into the stereotype of what exists for these instruments. And so that's part of what we talked about. That stereotype exists whether you like it or not. You know, uh, and, and I will say at one point in the conversation, he said he knows one person who might be able to help with bookings because this particular agent had mentioned there are lots of places looking for bluegrass. And then he followed up immediately. You and I both know that's not what she means. Right. (laughs) So what does that mean? Bluegrass? No. When somebody says, because you get the phone calls. I mean, I get the phone calls. uh, Hey, uh, somebody's getting married and they're looking Mm -hmm. for bluegrass. And I go, tell me what bluegrass means. Right. And then they'll say... You know, playing guitar, and you play dulcimer, don't you? <laughs> right. And then you're stuck at this thing. And so do you explain to him that the dulcimer, be it mountain or hammered, has absolutely nothing to do with bluegrass? Right. Yeah. I I did a church gig a while ago um, when I was living in Florida where they were having a bluegrass service, they called it, and they said that they... Needed someone who played banjo, and I said, "Well, I don't play bluegrass banjo. I play claw hammer." And they said, "But you play a banjo." <laughs> <laughs> same thing. <And> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that also maybe that's another thing that we need to be able to define well. What is it that people are looking for when they use words like? acoustic or old time or bluegrass. But then when you ask them and you find out they would also hire 
an ukulele player for an old time gig. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. And they have nothing to do with each other. Right. We need to be able to define that and fit that need. Hmm. Because I think we fit that. Hmm. And and people have tried terms like new acoustic Mm -hmm. or new grass, that one. Yeah. The fact that a band took the name. (laughs) New. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so literally there's there have been decades of things titled new. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Right. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs> this is hard work, Aaron. I know. I uh, I guess we should just conclude confused and in a daze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's coming up next for you? Uh, I'm still working on the, uh, getting the dulcimer players news out the door. I feel bad that it's, it's not there, but it's going to be probably right after Thanksgiving when people get it, which is still, that's kind of where we want it to hit. Cool. December for me, Aaron, Mm -hmm. is all about this project. Cool. How about you? Likewise, until I fly out to Oregon, uh, to visit my in-laws for Christmas. I'm really lucky I like my in-laws a lot. That's really nice. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not the least bit bummed about flying across the country to visit them. That's a and, good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We uh have actually been a little hard to get as far as Christmas gigs are are concerned this year. Yeah. And some of the places that I would normally play a lot cuz I want to get this project done and out. Right. Uh oh. I want to back up before we say goodbye. One last thing that Christian Howes said that I remembered, and I think this is good advice. Uh, He said, maybe you're focusing too much on new material. Oh, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Because he said, when you're breaking into a new market, they're not tired of your old material. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't say this, but having thought about what he said, I'd add to that. Uh your old material may be some of your best material and maybe why you've been able to establish yourself to begin with. True. The other side to that is that's coming strictly from a business. It sounds like it's coming strictly from a business perspective. And in order to keep us interested and keep us happy, I think we need to explore new material to something. I think I do anyway. No, no. Compared you know to I my, own, my own, just looking at my own material. You've heard me whining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that aspect of it as well. There is, but we're trying to find... I'm going to use the word but instead of <laughs> the other word. But I'm thinking to Don Henley's song that says, I'd like to find your inner child and kick its little butt. Because <laughs> 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 maybe that's what needs to happen. Because there are some business aspects that must be attended to. Absolutely. Or you don't get the opportunity to be an artist and stay interested in the... I completely agree. I don't think that uh, that this is necessarily exclusive, though. No, it's not. But remember, I want to keep bringing this back. We're talking about breaking into new markets. Mm-hmm. That's a tough call. The concept of branding and market making, mm-hmm. but most things fail. Right. Most things do because the the uh, the momentum and mm-hmm. preconceived ideas and false stereotypes and all those things 
those are massive machines, you know, right. that just move forward. And for you to try to change the direction of that is maybe crazy thinking. But then you think, okay, how did Nickel Creek do that? I mean, how? Why do oh. we even know the names of Tony Rice and and Daryl Anger? And well, um, a friend of mine may, did make an interesting observation, and in that Allison Krauss has been around for quite a while and right. used to play with Tony Rice quite a bit, um, and J.D. Crow and yeah. David Grisman and. Um, and there's a uh, there's there's one concert of all these guys playing together and girls. Um, Allison Krauss just took brilliant uh, solo uh, when it was her break on fiddle, and I didn't know she could play fiddle like that. Mm-hmm. I honestly didn't. And um, uh, and my my buddy pointed that out, and she goes, he goes, see, after that solo, she just sold a thousand less CDs. In that, oh. yeah, that her career really didn't take off <laughs> by playing better fi- fiddle stuff. Like a lot of her music now is great. It's a lot more accessible though. Tori, it's not things that you that you really have to think about. I think Punch Brothers and Punch Brothers and Nickel Creek are another <laughs> good comparison. A lot of Nickel Creek is accessible to the average listener. Punch Brothers. Is to quote Chris Thiele, he did not want to make an album that you could just give a passive listen to. Do we have that luxury? No. <laughs> <laughs> not and and that's just assuming we think we might have an inkling of a chance of someday, perhaps with lots of practice and devotion. To have the chops even to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did I put that far enough out? It, you know? Yeah. You, your arm got further and yeah, further. Yeah. As long away. as far as my arm yeah. can go, I ran out of words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, we don't have that. <laughs> that didn't help at all, Aaron. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it's not my job to help you feel better. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, there okay. goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It just seemed like an appropriate thing to throw out there, but yeah, I don't mean it. No, no, no. There's some there's some realism in what what we're talking about. So that's it. That's where our heads are right now and what we're trying to figure out. And next week we'll have Steve back to tell us why we're all wrong, and that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey everybody, thanks, and please do subscribe to Dulcimer Players News Magazine. Aaron O'Rourke's Patreon channel. This stuff's easy to find. You go on the internet and you go Aaron O'Rourke Patreon. Or DP News, right? Or dpnews.com. Or check out free lessons on dulcimerschool.com. Yes. And uh, I think we've been doing a really good job there lately, interacting with uh, customers and answering questions quickly. And- there is something really cool about when someone asks a question and they go, can you can you just tab out this little bit that was taught by ear necessarily? Yeah. That it doesn't take long to just throw it up there and it just, it feels cool. Yeah. Having that community. Come join us. You can yeah. be cool too. <laughs> See you everybody.